indeed. Very, very happy. Welcome, welcome to life. Welcome to life. Hey, 2008, brand new year. Oh, no, 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 it's never too late. It's never too late. No, I know what's crazy. It's crazy to say that. Um, it's crazy to say that because I realized this week how jacked up we humans are at perceiving time. Um, there's this old quote I remember hearing a long time ago, and um, it was talking about, this woman was, was talking about her days, and she said, it's funny to me that days can seem to drag on and on and on for what seemed like an eternity, and yet years slip by without me even noticing. That's kind of like how it seems, isn't it? Sometimes um, days can seem so darn long, and yet these large portions of time can just fly by us before we even, even notice it. It really seems to me sometimes that time seems to be bent, and sometimes um, things from a long ways ago seem to be very close, while things that were shortly, you know, a minute ago, seem much farther away, almost like it has a bend in it. Um, just thinking about it, the one half message that happened this summer feels way farther away to me than the move message that I preached at the very beginning of the year. How is that? When I think about the fact that it was only three months ago that I spoke the message on Accelerate in the middle of the summer, it feels like, man, three months, I feel like I've run a marathon. I feel like I'm in a whole different place in the world. Then when I think back to the initial move message that I preached at the beginning of the year, I'm like, that felt like just yesterday. How in the world does that happen? It's so crazy as us as humans, but that's kind of just the deal. Tonight I am talking about move, and this is our vision word for 2008. Some of you guys just came here in 2008, so this might be all brand new for you guys. Um, but each year we try to pick a word. Um, at least the last two years we've really been focusing on this. And this year our vision word was move. It was the focus of everything we were going to do, that throughout this year the very core of what we're going to do is going to be move. And it's a very simple simple word, and I've, I've brought it to you a few times this year. Um, like I said before, towards, uh, towards the beginning, moving is very simple. It's simply to not be in the same place anymore. It's to be somewhere different. That could be very, very little, or it could be very large, um, but to no longer be in that same exact place. Thinking about this word for this last year, um, I'm encouraged, because I feel that looking at this last three quarters of a year, there has been tremendous amount of movement. When I look at it and put it in comparison to previous years, I think we've moved farther and faster than we ever have before. It's crazy the amount of stuff that's happened, the amount of things that have taken place. And when I, when I think about it, there have been massive changes that have taken place in Steadfast in this past year, in this past three quarters of a year. Huge things changing, um, things that I would have never, ever seen big, big changes taking place. Um, however, I'm not content, not in the least bit. Even though I can say, I feel like we've moved more than ever before. And even though I can say, I really feel encouraged, I'm not one bit content. Because there's more that can be done, and there's tremendous amounts of movement that are left way more than I think has even been accomplished. I want to refresh tonight some of what I've talked about within these last, um, these last three quarter of a year, what I had mentioned to you guys before, um, and bring some brand new stuff to you while I'm here as well. So you kind of both get both. 
Um, when I introduced you to, you to this, I talked about our God. And maybe painted it in a different picture than I had before. But I talked about the fact that we serve this God, the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God, the Father of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that we see moving today, that he is a moving God, a moving God, that it is at his very core is movement. I think a lot of people don't get this. A lot of people, when they see God, especially God, the Father, we think of a big man sitting on a throne, just chilling there. He doesn't get up. He doesn't have to reach for the remote because he's God. So he just sits on his throne, and that's his place. And he is just stock and still. But that is absolutely, absolutely not the case. God is an insanely moving God. Instead of sitting around being God, which is what he was, whether or not we're here or anything like that, God is God. But instead of sitting around and just being God, instead he decided to create everything that you see today. He created everything that we see in this world. He created you and me. He created every little bit, every little part that's inside of you and me. He made all of this. He took and he created everything that we see on a daily basis. He is this active and imaginatively creative God. I mean, beyond imagination. And we, as we look through his word, which is how we, we, we see this picture of who God is, we realize very, very fast that God is not a laissez-faire God which is a French word for hands-off. It's used in military a lot, in government. Laissez-faire, hands-off, don't bother with it. That's not our God one bit. That's not his, his mode of operation. That's not how he functions in any bit because he created this world, and what we see is the fact that God became very, very active in it, and he moved consistently. As we look in the Old Testament, we see a God who talked to a crazy guy named Noah. And he warned him about this flood that was going to happen, that God was going to take care of all these people who weren't following his way. And he took and talked to this crazy guy named Noah and said, I need you to build a ship, even though you've never sailed. I need you to design something that's going to float on water because this flood is coming. And he takes and he floods the earth. Then as time goes on, we hear this amazing story about Moses. Man, and Moses is this awesome story. He finds this guy I mean, out in the wilderness and talks to him in a burning bush, and he sends him to take all of his people from from slavery in Egypt and move them to a promised land. So there's tremendous amounts of movement. And that God does crazy, uh, th- these insane plagues that he puts on people, um, on the leaders to be able to bring them out. Man, God just moving right here on earth. As time goes on, we see Joshua take over for Moses. We see the judges follow up, men of God throughout generations who God put special power on to take and lead their, their country, their people for a certain amount of time. And after that, we start to see prophets, where even when people were in leadership who were very, very crooked, God would take and work to move people's hearts, to move these prophets' hearts, and have them come back and try to reach these people. We see God moving over and over and over again. When we get to the New Testament, man, the movement, it just becomes mind-blowing. Instead of just God sitting up there in heaven, we see God pour himself into a human form, that of Jesus Christ. That, that's just mind-blowing. God limiting himself and taking the body of a human, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to pay for our sins. That story of the fact of our sin being too heavy and God coming and dying for our sins even though he was perfect. He found this loophole in the laws of the universe to be able to find a way that we can spend eternity with him. And he actively pursued that. A God of movement. And you know, as, as we go on past that, we see his Holy Spirit which Jesus talks about coming after he leaves 
And it's the Spirit that empowers us, believers, me and you today, all the way back to the Acts Church. And what we see is tremendous amounts of movement spurred on by the Holy Spirit. Talk about people like Paul, who traveled great, great distances. All these different people who were disciples, who went everywhere telling people about God. They traveled on foot farther than most of us have traveled in cars to tell people about Jesus Christ. These guys moved. Crazy, awesome stuff. They were healing. They were preaching. um, They were teaching. There was literally too much movement for one person to handle. There's a story in Acts 19, 11, and 12 that says God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illness was cured and the evil spirits left them. The Holy Spirit had so much movement for a person like Paul that his physical body couldn't even handle it. The Holy Spirit wanted to move so fast through Paul that Paul's physical body couldn't even handle it. And God had to flow out of that into stuff like handkerchiefs and aprons because that's how much he wanted to move. We serve a moving God, not a stationary one. But if God is moving, if God is this moving God that I just told you about, what do you think that that means for us? What do you think that means for us? It means that we have to be moving too. We can't talk about a moving God and then say, well, that's God, and that's not me. If God is a moving God, then I must be a moving person. Move is a very simple word, and like I said earlier, it simply means to not be here anymore. From here, if I just shift a little bit, I moved. Or I could take a big old jump, and I moved. Not being in the exact same place is movement. Like I said, it can be small or big, but no longer being stationary. With such a moving God, we cannot stay in the same place any longer in so many different aspects of our life. As Christians, we wish to become more and more like Christ, God embodied. If we want to become like him, one of the very first things that we have to change is our monotonous standstillingness, and we must begin to move. We can no longer be the same. Humans are naturally a comfort-seeking animal, if you will, a comfort-seeking being. Here's what I see, okay? Think about this and tell me if it's not true. After a while of doing the same thing, humans will get into what I call a continuation. Then after the continuation starts on, they'll move into a series. And after the series ebbs on and on, they'll go into a saga. And after that saga continues on and on, they will fall into a rut. And they will stay there and continue in the exact same. It's true. It's very true. Have you ever talked to people who are really, really old and they eat the exact same thing every morning for breakfast? Every morning, the exact same food. Every morning, I eat a pancake and three sausage links and a bowl of Cheerios. <laughs> and they'll do it every single day. And you know they live to be 120. Every, every day, when they wake up, it doesn't matter what happens, it's the same exact thing. And it won't change. Just humans get into this weird thing where we, where we feel like just doing the same thing over and over again. And you know what? It's kind of like this, this strange comfort, like this, like this security blanket of monotony, of just being the same and not having to move. Um, people find this all the time in so many different aspects of their life. No matter how fast or how slow your life moves, you'll find a rhythm and you'll try to stay in it. We do it all the time. We try to find something that's comfortable. This is the speed I'm moving, and this is 
where I'm going, and this is how I do it, and I'll just do it over and over and over again because it feels right, and I can do it, and I'm comfortable with this. People will find, and they will fall into it, and before long, it becomes this rut in their life that they cannot get out of. They just become stuck in. But God wants us to move. I know that I've shared this story before, but the story is so pivotal in our minds. The story should be such a, a mind-changing, a heart-changing, um, metanoite type of thing in our minds when we read it. So if you guys want to, you can turn to Matthew 24. I just want to read you this, this story. Um, actually, it's 25, excuse me, not 24. Uh, starting in 14. <coughs> excuse me. Still sick, but feeling better. That's this great story. I've read it in every single move message that we've talked about so far. But here's how it goes. This is Jesus Christ talking to his disciples in 25. And it says, It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one he gave $5,000, to another 2000 to a third 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him, Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant with the 2000 showed him how he had doubled his master's investment. And his master commended him, Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant given the 1000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, and you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. And says, at this, the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. And it says, take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most, and get rid of this, play it safe, who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into the utter darkness. The story is powerful. I don't care how many times I read it. Each time I do, it strikes kind of harder and harder at the core of me. Um, and even brings new ideas, new ideas to my head. <clears throat> I don't think we're supposed to be like this third servant. I mean, if I can assume anything from this tale, as, as Jesus Christ told it from this parable, that's not who we're supposed to be. But I think a lot of Christians think that we are. Even though they'll read the story and they'll be like, well, yeah, I mean, I understand the point of the story. I understand it. I think a lot of Christians still think that we're supposed to be that third servant. I really think we do. Think about it. That we're given this gift of salvation by God, and we're just supposed to guard it. That we're given a free life, a new life, and that we're just supposed to protect it and hold on to it as tight as we can. Or maybe the fact that we're given these gifts and abilities, amazing things that God's put inside of us, and we're just going to use them to benefit us and our little world around us. Maybe, maybe preachers have actually even told you this. Maybe they've actually said stuff that really seems to fit in what I'm saying. But I say when I look at this story, I think that they're dead wrong. I don't see that's what God wants for us. To take what he gives us and just hold on it nice and tight. I don't think so at all. I think that God is a little crazier than we ever thought. I think that all these old school preachers who studied God, um, 
I think maybe they were just a little too pansy. I think God's a little more crazy than we ever put up to him. I think that God is a little bit of a gambler. A little bit of a gambler. I think that God wants us to take whatever he gives us, anything that he gives us, and he wants us to turn it. And that means use it to make a profit. If God gives you lemons, make lemonade. lemonade. Think about this. Think about this. He has us risk everything. Let's actually look at what the Bible says about these things for just a second. Let's look at how God actually wants us to deal with our lives. Whether he wants us to live man, I mean, like a gambler, or if he wants us to live this cautious, guarding, and hoarding life. Think about this, salvation. God gives us salvation from sin, from the sin in our life, the horrible things that we've done that have separated us from God. Are we supposed to just hold on to that? In Luke 10.3, it says this, Go, because I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Jesus Christ talks to these disciples who understood him and had a relationship with him. And he says, I don't want you to sit around here and talk about how awesome salvation is. He says, I'm going to send you out amongst people who want to kill you. I'm going to send you out among people who are a lot more dangerous than you are, who are crazier than you are, who want to hurt you, and that's where you belong. That's not protecting that, is it? Man, that's, that's risking it. That's putting it on the line. Not just sitting around, but going out there into the real world. Yeah, the real world. And standing next to people who don't understand it, standing next to people who hate it, standing next to the people that hate you, and putting it on the line, and using it, working it. Man, that's risking, isn't it? Putting it out there. That's what he says with salvation. How about that free life? How about that free life that he says, you know, your, your sins are washed away, and you have this free life. You have this free life to do whatever you want, and you are, you know, and people hold on to that, and that'll be their ongoing stock answer. Man, God's just giving me freedom. Freedom. But you know what God says? In Romans 12:1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. You're supposed to guard and protect that freedom that he gave us? No. No, we're not supposed to just guard and protect it, are we? He says that I give you freedom. And he says, I want you to take that freedom and lay it down and say, I don't want it. You say that you give me freedom, and you know I love you for that, but I don't want it because I want you to be my master, and I want to become your slave. That's what God's response to that is. Man, that's harsh, isn't it? That's crazy. That's way crazier than what any preacher's going to tell you because they're, they're pansies. But when you look at it, it really is true, isn't it? He does this amazing stuff for us, and then he calls us to, man, I mean, to work what he gave us not to just protect it. How about all those gifts that he gave us? All those awesome talents that are deep down inside of you. I know some of you guys are like, oh, I don't have anything. Everyone has something. There's something cool about you deep down inside that God gave you for a purpose. And you know what? Sometimes it might even be something that sucks. Let me be completely honest with you. Sometimes it might be sucky situations. It might have been where you were raised, how you were raised, people who hated you, how you were treated. It could be bad things and they were things that God blessed you with because they're going to be awesome in the future. God gave you all these awesome things. All of us have talents. All of us have gifts that someone else doesn't have. And God doesn't say to take and to just live these out for our own personal benefit. 
And you know what? I don't even think God's happy you just using them in your own little circles and your own little friends. But that God's saying to take these and to risk it and to use them to the fullest extent. We just read the story. We just read the story here. And what happened? Man, the one guy risked $5,000. Another guy risked 2000 The other guy was afraid to risk one. And we see this, the, the reaction of God in this. He was so ridiculously, ridiculously angry with this man who wouldn't risk what God gave him. Wouldn't risk what God gave him to turn that profit, to do something awesome, awesome for him. Not just identifying your gifts, not just using them in your small circle, but how about this? Thinking about what your gifts are and pushing them to their absolute limit and breaking point in order to gain God things, because he's our boss. Whatever gift he has given me, whatever gift he has given you, not just using it, but saying, I'm going to use it until it's ready to break. I'm going to push it as hard as I possibly can to get as much profit for God. Man, to tell as much people, what does God want as profit? He doesn't need money. The only thing he cares about is other people knowing about him, his souls. So saying, I'm going to push that gift that you give me as hard as I possibly can in order for people to understand who you are. That's what I'm talking about. If God gives you lemons, no, wrong. You build the best darn lemonade stand anyone has seen. You get lasers. You get some sort of crazy show. You get a massive screen behind you that's flashing lemons. You take and stop traffic. You put on the craziest lemonade stand that anyone's seen you. It's going to be on Fox News tomorrow morning. That's going to be on there. Everyone be talking about this insane person who made a lemonade stand. That's what I'm talking about. Not just saying I'm going to... Not just saying I'm going to use it, but saying I'm going to do it in such a crazy way. I'm going to use it in such a crazy way. See, I think many of us Christians are too play it safe. I think many of us are too afraid to risk everything. We're too afraid. Think about the stock market for a second. Okay. Stock market is very complicated. I really don't understand it that well at all. Okay. But here's what I do understand. Values of, of products, of companies, go up and down. That's the stock market, okay? Here's the deal. You can buy shares in the stock market. This is, like, this is like 101. Some of you guys probably have never heard it, and this is going to change your world. Someone's going to become a multimillionaire because of Cameron Gray for explaining in a quick instant what stocks are. But you take, and you can buy stock in a company, and the idea is that you want your stock to increase in value. And then you sell your stock at a higher value and you make money. I know it sounds crazy. How in the world can you make money off of doing, doing nothing? But you really can. Guys make millions and millions of dollars their whole entire life's careers off of doing nothing but buying and selling stocks. Crazy to think about this. You literally buy a commodity that's like nothing. All you get is a piece of paper and then you sell it back to somebody and get a lot more money for it. Kind of a cool solution, but here's the deal. There's this company, okay? And it is, it is ground floor, Okay? <coughs> one person decides to put, a, put $100 in. They say, you know what? I'm going to take and invest $100. Okay. Another guy says, you know what? I'm going to invest $10,000 into this place. $10,000. Okay. Now, our math majors out here, the stock of this company quadruples in value quadruples, four times. Okay, how much did the first guy, how much did the first guy end up worth? How much was the stock worth? $400. 
That dude made $300 off of doing nothing. How much does our man with $10,000 worth of stock get? $40,000. The stock market changed all the same. There was nothing different. The stock went up, and it didn't matter how much stock you had. One man made $300, and one made $30,000. Does it make sense with this story? What I'm saying is you can't play it safe because the market is going up. God's market is going up. And how you're going to see amazing returns is by amazing investment. By sacrificing and by really putting it on the line. I know it sounds crazy tonight, but I want to tell you guys to become a gambler. Become a gambler and to roll the dice on God. Here's the deal. You need to be willing to make a mistake. A horrible mistake. Talk to anyone financially and they will, they will turn you against this. And it's called putting all of your eggs in one basket. Common term. What it means is this, is that in, in a normal economic situation, you want your funds sprawled out over a large amount of different areas so that when something goes bad, you don't feel it as painfully, that if all of them increase, you're making money, but it's safe. It's safe. And if something goes wrong, you know what? You're still taken care of. Forget that. What I want you guys tonight is to be a gambler, to roll the dice and say, I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. God, and that's it. All the other stuff that I've been, I've been using as that crutch. You know what? Well, it's, not, it's, it's okay because if God falls through, if God falls through, yeah, I still got my job. It's cool. And you know, like, I'm, I'm still talented and I can take care of myself. You know, if God falls through, if God falls through, I still got my family and, you know, that's cool. And you try to keep these things that, you like, are these crutches in your life. I'm going to tell you that you have to risk everything. You have to risk your comfort, your popularity, your friendship, and your very life. That you have to be willing to risk it all to get these, these big, huge gains. You have to be a gambler and you have to throw the dice. I honest to God think that when this man came back to see his, his three workers, if this last man would have came to him and said, you know what, I only got 50 bucks. I know you gave me a thousand. But you know what? I made a bad investment, and it fell through, and all I got is 50 bucks that I kept tucked away. I think that that boss would have been happier with getting 50 back than getting his 1,000. I think he would have been happier because the guy tried, and he risked, he risked it. He put it on the line. He was willing to risk that money and say, you know, I tried. I might have failed, but I tried really hard. See, what he yelled at him about wasn't the fact that he didn't make him money, did he? What he says is he says, how dare you live so play it safe? How dare you do less than the least? See, I mean, he, he, he did no action, and that's what he was so, so furious about. And that's what I'm saying tonight, that we have to move. We have to get past that being afraid to just put it all out there and just say, man, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to throw, throw the dice and just all in all in and just go for it. We have to become this gambler. We need to move in and not be afraid. And here are some areas I identified a long time ago, but here are some areas in which we need to be moving just to put some, some good application with this as well. 
Okay? Think about this. One area we need to move, personal devotion. Very, very important. This is your relationship with God. What does a relationship with God look like tonight? We need to move to get closer to God, to get more like him. We invest in this stuff by praying and by reading his word, investing and, and, and gambling, risking those things and putting our time on the line, giving up things that aren't necessary. Application, our burn box tonight, saying I no longer want stuff like that to be in my, in my life. There's this, um, this story, <laughs> excuse me, in Romans 8, 9 through 11, and it says this. I like this in the message. It says, those who think that they can do it on their own end up as obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God, and that person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased with being ignored. I really, really like that. We talk about our relationship with God and moving in our personal devotion. I love the fact that it says obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. And it says focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. That when you think about your own personal devotion, that's not about always just worrying about who I am. And I hope that's happening in our temptation teams too. But it's worrying about who God wants you to be. Who is God? Because he's more powerful than any of the problems that I have in my life. God can take care of this. God can work through this with me. He has better for me. The second area we need to move is ministry service. What I mean by that is that each of us need to be serving in some way or another. We see that God doesn't want us just focusing on ourselves, just from this last verse. Focusing on ourselves isn't what it's all about, but we're supposed to be helping others. And what can be done? First and foremost, best way that you can help other people and start ministry, start praying. Start praying. There's, it says in the Bible, we don't, we don't fight against other you know, people in this world, but we fight against principalities of darkness. We fight against spiritual things that are going on in people's lives. We understand why they're, why they're so hurting and why they're, why they're not getting it. There's a lot of crap going on behind the scenes. And if you want to start doing something about it, if you want to start ministering, start actually sitting down at night and praying and taking some of your time that you're going to sit and watch TV and waste on something like that and say, instead I'm going to sit down for 10 minutes and I'm going to pray that God, that you just do something awesome in this person's life. You're going to take and you're going you're gonna to destroy these things that are holding them back. Second, after you just start praying, begin to just lend a hand. Man, that's ministry. So many people think that, you know, like ministry is this. Like I'm talking to you guys, so like I'm, I'm ministering. Ministry is everything, man. It's everything. It's as simple as when the night's over, taking and picking up the pens and putting them away. Or taking and helping move the chairs when we have to. All of it, all of it is for God. Man, every little step. The person who stands on stage does something cool, but you know what? It doesn't matter if we don't move the chair so people can sit and, and listen, you know what I mean? It's all just one big picture. It doesn't matter who's in it and where. You're part of it. You're part of the ministry. And third, ask if you can help. If you think you can help, just ask. You know what? The worst thing that can happen is someone says, you know, right now, we really don't need you yet, but I'll keep you in mind. 
What's wrong with that? How does that hurt? It doesn't hurt at all. Just begin to do ministry, just to live that and say, you know, I'm just going to spend some time focusing on someone else, not just me. I said it before and I'll say it again. If you want to grow, start focusing on other people. And you'll see yourself grow exponentially faster than when you focus on yourself. Because that's who Jesus is. He's all about other people. Third, our witnessing opportunities. Each and every one of us here on earth are ambassadors for God. We're here on this earth to represent him and demonstrate his love to others on a daily basis. We have to move in this. Don't get caught up in our average everyday life, all the junk that sits here and tries to hinder us. Take and um, don't get caught up in that stuff and forget about the people who are around you because that's what it's all about. All this stuff that tries to get our attention, yeah, you know, it looks really bright, but there's people around us who need to know. There's people who got it put in our path for a reason. Wherever you are, wherever you are tonight, you're there for a reason. There's people around you that God has you there. I know it might sound stupid because some of you guys are like, there's no way I'm here for a reason. This is the last place I'd want to be. You're here for a reason. You're where you're at in life for a reason. There's, a, there's someone, there's something that's happening that God's going to use. God has people for you to reach in your daily life, but it's up to us to move. We come in contact with people every single day, every day that don't know who Jesus Christ is. And God's put them there for a reason, but he can only do so much. We are the tool to show Jesus' love, to be that friend, to tell them about what our life is. And it's up to us to move. Man, God can do crazy stuff, crazy stuff in us. There's a story, and it, it inspires me on how fast we could move in witnessing to people and in telling people about our Christ. And it comes in Acts. And I thank Russell for helping me find this because I couldn't find it. Oh, I, was, I was lost. But it starts in Acts 8. And it says this, Later God, God's angel spoke to Philip, At noon today I want you to walk over to the desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He got up and went. He met an Ethiopian excuse me, eunuch coming down the road. The eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia where he was, where he was minister in charge of all the finances of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah, the book Isaiah that we have in our Bible. How cool is that? The spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot. Running up alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he answered, how can I without some help? And invited Philip into his chariot with him. The passage he was reading was this, as a sheep led to slaughter and quiet as a lamb being sheared, he was silent saying nothing. He was mocked and put down, never got a fair trial. But who can who can now count excuse me, but who now can count his kin since he's been taken from the earth? The eunuch said, Tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or some other? And Philip grabbed his chance. Oh, I love that. He grabbed his chance. As soon as he heard that, oh, people ask, Is he who's he talking about? He grabs this chance. And he says, Using this passage as his text, he preached Jesus to him. As they continued down the road, they came to a stream of water, and the eunuch said, Here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water, and Philip baptized him on the spot. Listen to this. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of God suddenly took Philip off, and that was the last the eunuch saw of him. But he didn't mind, because he had got what he came come for, and went on down the road as happy as he could be. Listen to this. 
Philip showed up in Azotus and continued north, preaching the message in all the villages alongside the route he had arrived at Caesarea. God leads Philip to this man who is at this, this point in his life. And man, there are people in our lives every day who we're connecting with, who sooner or later they come to this point, just like this eunuch, that he's reading and he asks, who is this man that they're talking about? I love it. It says Philip grabs that chance, and that's just like, it touches my heart. That's who I want to be. Just to grab that chance and be like, I can tell you who it is. And it's Jesus Christ. But what's amazing is, is Philip had such an awesome calling, apparently, to do stuff, that after he finished his work with him, God teleported him to a different place in the world. Yes. It says the Spirit caught him up. He disappeared from his sight. He was gone. He come up out of the water, and the dude's gone. And he appears in another town where he continues to preach. Did you ever know that God teleported someone in the Bible? Did you ever know that? Did people think about this? Man, I want to be so useful to God that he would take his time to teleport me because I have so much work to do for him. Could you imagine that? God did it once. Why can't he do it again? You telling me that God isn't big enough? You telling me that God isn't big enough to teleport me? Think about how amazing it is, how fast we could move, how far we could move the power that God's willing to give us. If he's willing to, to teleport Philip, what's he willing to do in our lives today? There's probably a lot. And the fourth thing is we can move in God's plan. God has a tremendous plan for each and every one of us. People always quote the Jeremiah, you know, was it 2911? You know, God has plans for you, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, and it really is true. I completely believe that, but there's more than just that, is I think God has specific plans for our life. Not just the fact that God doesn't have a plan to destroy you, because that's basically what that says. Is that God doesn't want to kill you, but God has awesome plans for your life. Is that if I say that I am a believer in Jesus Christ, that it's not just, man, God says that you're going to be cool. But no, the fact that God has really, really cool things for me to do here on earth. I start living my free life today. And there are great and mighty plans down the road. Each and every one of us who have said that we've been recreated new by Christ, that he has this awesome playbook set out for us. I said before, why in the world would you hire somebody and ask them to do nothing? You wouldn't as a boss. You would set out goals and tasks and awesome things that they're supposed to accomplish to give you glory. That's God, our boss. Great things, mighty things that we have in front of us. It may sometimes look strange. It may sometimes look scary or even crazy. But we have to pray. I know it sounds so pat. We have to pray and ask God, what are your plans for my life? What are your plans for my life? Not what are mine, but what do you have for my life? And when we find this direction, we must move. We can't wait until we see clear. We can't wait until we see down the road. Um, you have to move. I always think about, um, did you ever know the rhinoceros, okay? Awesome animal. One of my favorite animals in the world, actually. I love the rhinoceros. Um, the rhinoceros has extremely poor eyesight. And when it finds something that scares it, it charges at such a speed that it can no longer see what it's charging. Its eyes cannot keep up with the speed at which it runs because it has such poor eyesight. So what happens is, if it doesn't hit something, if it doesn't take off and slam into something which it expected, it has to stop, relook, and then recharge. I think about that like almost with our, with our 
trip with God is that we'll see a direction that God has for us to go. And you know what? God's made it clear. And he says, you know, this is, this is where I want you to go. This really feels right. Run full bore. And when it starts to get blurry, stop and refocus. Be like that rhinoceros that you don't just meander down the path, but when you see a direction, you charge as fast as you can. And as soon as it starts to blur, you just stop. Let your brain catch up. Find the next step that God wants you to do. Run as fast as you can. When it starts to blur, stop again. But just continually keep on moving as fast as you can in what God has shown you to accomplish what he has, to move however far he has for you. With all these things that I've mentioned, these, these four different things, we can talk and talk and talk about them until we're blue in the face. But there has to be something that happens in reality for move to take place. We just finished a two-part series on repentance and about metanoite and about nacham and about uh, epistrephine, about there actually being application, real movement to what we, what we believe. And that's what has to happen. There has to be a real mind change. There has to be real movement inside of us. We have to back it up with action. What are you going to move? How are you going to move it? To actually think about that. Tonight we have our box, um, which fits perfectly in with our personal devotion tonight, with moving and personal devotion. We talked about not just saying that you're going to do something, but destroying something that might continually stand in your way, or even a symbol of something. And just say, you know what, God, I give this up. It's no longer who I want to be. But moving in that, that's what's so important. Roll the dice and risk it all. Step out. Man, step out past what feels comfortable. When stuff seems like, ah, maybe that's just a little too much. It kind of hurts. Yeah, it's probably right then. You're probably getting in the spot where you're supposed to be. It should be a little uncomfortable. You know what I mean? As Christians here in church, we should be comfortably uncomfortable on a standard basis. Always pushed a little farther always bent just a little farther out of shape, always just stretched that little bit more, just like, ah, oh, every time. That's how we should be. Have you been moving? If you've been here since the beginning of the year, even for a while this year, have you been trying to live, move? For you guys who were here at the beginning of the year, if you guys say, man, I've had it on my heart and I've been trying to move, I thank you so much and I'm so proud of you. I know that God is too. Because I know this is God's, God's thought and God's passion for us this year. But if you have, even if you say, man, I've moved, I've moved, you're not done yet. And you guys, you say, you know what? Well, I just came here a while ago, but I think I understand it. You're not even close to done. See, what we're doing is right now we're running a race. And at three-quarter mark, that's huge, right? I mean, we're three-quarters of the way done with the year right now. That seems massive. However a great majority of races are decided in the last quarter. You think about all those awesome races you might have watched in the Olympics. All different foot races and stuff like that. There's a lot of races that look even until that last quarter, doesn't it? And then you see a change happen. This is where everything is poured out. This is where all the reserves are kicked in. This is what, what runners will call their second win. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, but they hit that last quarter and for some reason they feel like they have energy again. More than they knew they had even just a few minutes ago. As we see this finish line of this year, only three months down the line, that we don't begin to ease off. But instead, just like that runner turning that last corner, that last quarter of the race, that what you see is they put their head down, 
and you take and you see every single muscle strain as hard as they possibly can. Every last bit of energy that they have deep down inside of themselves, pulling it out and pounding it through their feet into the ground as hard as they possibly can to destroy that last quarter of the race. Move faster and harder than they have the whole first three quarter to push beyond everything that they have inside of themselves. That's where we're at right now. We are at the three-quarter mark, and we have this last quarter ahead of us. Increase this movement to finish strong. There's this letter um, in, in the Bible, 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says this. This is the only race worth running, and I've run hard to the finish, believed all the way. Paul wrote this sitting in jail knowing that very, very soon someone was going to come to kill him for his faith. Paul said this after doing amazing things for God, and he realized he's, he literally sat waiting for someone to come and murder him for what he believed. And he says, you know what? I've run the race strong, and I've finished it. Man, this year is coming to an end, and the finish line is in sight. But I don't want to cross that finish line with more left in the tank. You don't want to finish a race and come up short and say, you know what, I could have given it a little more. Runners and Olympians and all these people will, will drive themselves crazy, crazy thinking, could I have just given a little more? We have to finish this race going across the line and realizing that I pushed every last bit of energy out of myself. That whatever happens at the end of that race when I finish, I know that I couldn't have given it one ounce more every last bit. Then when I finish this race, man, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to give everything to it. Think about this. What if in this next one quarter of a year we could accomplish everything we accomplished for this last three quarter of a year over again? If in this next three months we could accomplish what happened in the last nine months over again because of increased movement and pushing and digging deeper than we ever have before? by taking and going all out and saying, you know what, I'm finishing this race or I'm dying trying. I'm giving it everything. We could accomplish everything we've already done over again. You have to move. You have to no longer remain still. You can't be the same person tomorrow. If you're going to move more, roll the dice. Man, roll the dice and become a gambler. You take and you sit at the, you sit at the table, and it, I, I love, it's such a great thing, but just like they're saying cards, I'm all in. They don't hold anything back, but you put every last bit of what you have to bet, and you just say, you know what, it's all in. Everything that I am, how the cards fall, the cards fall, but I'm all in. Become that gambler and be willing to risk everything, not holding one bit back. Now, if you have been here for the last, th this whole part of the year, even if you haven't, think about this. It has been nine months since I spoke this message first. It's enough time to have a baby. Nine months. That's frightening, huh? Nine months. Could have had a kid. But you know what? Anything that we put into our bodies comes to fruition. What have you been growing inside of yourself? Through the knowledge and through move through things that have been taught to you, through the word move that might have already been put in your heart, what has been growing deep down inside your heart? And you know what? If today was nine months and you were going to have your baby, what would you give birth to? Would it be something amazing? Would it be something beautiful? What has been birthed out of you? 
in nine months? What has come from you? Think about it tonight. I want you guys to actually take time and think about it. I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan of checking on yourselves. It says that in the Bible. Man, don't just assume that you're saved. Don't just assume you're a Christian, but check it and encourage someone else to check it with you. I'm a big fan of that. And I have this sheet that we filled out at every single move message. I have them again for us. It's a really, really simple sheet. All it does is it goes through those four different areas of our life and asks us a couple questions in each one. If you guys have done them for the last few times, you can set them up and compare them and see, have I actually moved? You think like, oh, I did awesome. And then you set it next to it, and you're like, I'm the exact same person as I was nine months ago. I haven't changed one bit. Very, very simple. And you know what? This isn't anybody's but yours. You don't have to explain it to anybody. You can take this and you can write anything you want on it. Be tremendously honest because this is something that I need you to take. Fill out and put somewhere where you're going to see it again. And a month, man, a week, maybe tomorrow when you look at it, saying I'm going to move and I'm not going to be that person today. I'm going to be better than what I wrote down there. I encourage you guys to do it tonight because you'll forget. If you leave tonight and go home, do it tonight. Stay up a little late. Finish it tonight where you're at now. And you know what? For you guys who have been here for a while, especially those of you who have been here for nine months, take and flip it over on the back and write what's grown inside of you and what you've birthed. What's come from move? What's come from you actually focusing on God and saying, I'm not going to be that person, but I'm going to change? So I want you guys to take that, and I want you guys to do it tonight. Move. Roll the dice. Step out. Give it your all. I want to pray with you guys. Lord, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word and learn from it. I pray to you, God, that you would forgive us for playing it safe, Lord God. Forgive us for being that third servant who just hides what you give us and doesn't do anything with it. I pray to you, God, that you would let us become that gambler. You would let us become the person who would roll the dice and say, I'm all in. I'll give every single bit of what you give me, put it all on the line, risk it all, because I trust you. I trust that you're going to take, and it is going to increase, and you're going to double it, and I'm going to stand victorious and just man, blessed, because I was willing to risk it. I pray to you, just put that in our hearts, and I pray to you, God, that you would just put move in our hearts, that it would just be burnt in, that um, in times when we, when we feel least close to you, Lord, that the word move would just come back to our minds, to move forward, to not be that same person. I just thank you for what you've accomplished tonight, Lord God. It's in your name that I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, man.